0: hello and greetings welcome and thank you for joining us today and thank you for giving us the gift of spending time as we continue to explore what god has made known in christ through scripture my name is ethan work with the venice church of christ for disciples making disciples in los angeles and what really makes jesus different from other teachers or from other people who have made uh, great claims about themselves because there's been a lot of people who taught great things there are a lot of people who have died for their cause and died despite being innocent. So what makes Jesus different? What makes Jesus different is the claim that after these things took place God made him rise from the dead. The resurrection is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. Uh, so much emphasis is placed on Jesus' death for for our sins and for reconciling us to God and certainly we need to uh, value and and put great emphasis on Jesus' death but the Apostle Paul himself declared that if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in this life only we have hoped in Christ we are of all people most to be pitied in 1 Corinthians 15 14 17 through uh, 20 excuse me is part of this counterfactual, to look at if the dead are not raised and Jesus is not raised, then we are still in our sins. That his death only has its great power because on the third day he arose. So the whole story of Jesus' birth and his life and his death and everything else becomes immaterial when it comes to our salvation if it weren't for the fact that he is raised from the dead. And when we look in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament, it's the resurrection that's the focus of the preaching of the apostles, the basis of preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And it represents hope for the transformation we will go through in the future, that as Christ has been raised, so also those in Christ shall be raised. And what's great and lamentable is that even though the resurrection of Jesus is of the greatest importance to the Christian faith, we don't speak of it very often, and you don't really hear that much emphasis placed on resurrection, as opposed to perhaps going to heaven or something of that sort. And that is why it is good for us to consider, what is Jesus' resurrection all about? What does it mean? Uh, What's going on with resurrection? Why should we insist on resurrection? What are some of the arguments suggested against it? And what does it mean for us and our own future, uh, if we are in Christ. So what is the resurrection? What does it involve? For good reason, resurrection is understood as life after life after death. It seems kind of like a strange thing. What is life after life after death? Well, let's consider Jesus himself for a moment. When we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, we we understand that he experienced death like uh, humans do, that his physical body uh, died. But his soul did not die. No one suggests that his soul at that point perished. Uh, Jesus himself said he was going to go to paradise in Luke 23 and verse 43. The whole centerpiece of Peter's preaching in Acts 2.27 is that Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, that he was not abandoned there uh, means that he did not get left there. Um, the whole claim in the gospel stories in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, in Luke uh, 24, and in John 20 and 21, is that Jesus' earthly corpse was reanimated and transformed through God's power in the Spirit. And that is the resurrection. So resurrection is not just a way of talking about the afterlife. Uh, because it certainly involves the afterlife, but not just the whole of the afterlife. It is the recreation of the body and a transformation. And it involves the physical body of Jesus. That when the women came to the tomb, they found it empty on that first morning of Luke 24 and verse 3, on the first day of the week. Uh, the disciples found the tomb empty. And that Jesus could be touched. And he could eat food. He said, I am not a ghost. I have a body like you have. In Luke 24, 39 43. But Jesus is not exactly the same as he was before the resurrection. He's able to transcend the space time continuum. He's able to pass through locked rooms. In Luke 24, 27 31, and 35 and 36, and John 20 and verse 26. What exactly that's like is not known. Uh, Paul will talk about how the resurrection body is the perishable putting on imperishability, uh, the corruptible putting on incorruption. But beyond that, we do not have much understanding from 1 Corinthians 15, 51-53. But that it involves the fleshly reanimation and transformation is without a doubt, based on what happens to Jesus and what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And so, uh, this is also the way it was understood in Second Temple Judaism, uh, seen very clearly in the book of Second Maccabees and other places where there was an expectation that the physical body would be raised again. And so resurrection is primarily reanimation or recreation of the physical body and its transformation for immortality, then we can see this illustrated in what happened to Jesus in the year 30. So what happened to Jesus? Again, we said, the story is said in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20 and 21. And Paul also provides some commentary in 1 Corinthians 15. But even before those passages, uh, in John chapter 2, Matthew 16 and Luke 9, Jesus predicted that he was going to be raised. Uh, He told the Israelites, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he referred to the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body. When he told his disciples he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to be handed over, he was going to suffer and die, he then also said on the third day he would be raised. So he explained these things to his disciples and teaching the Jews. And the disciples did not understand. And, and we might wonder why or how they could not understand this. Uh, well, we, we understand that the Sadducees and some others denied the idea of resurrection, but and the Pharisees and others affirmed it. But even those who affirm the day of resurrection uh, are like Martha when asked, uh, by, when Jesus talked to her, and she says that he she believed that Lazarus would share in the resurrection on the last day. In John 11, 24, this is very consistent with the story told in Daniel 12 and verse 2. Uh, And when you look in the Old Testament, you get the impression there's going to be a day of resurrection on the last day. There was no expectation explicitly that there would be uh, the resurrection of the Christ, and then later everybody else would be raised. And so uh, their lack of understanding is perfectly understandable and almost expected based upon what they understood versus the way it was going to play out. And so, we need to understand not just that Jesus is raised, but what happened a little bit beforehand. Uh, that when Jesus was buried, that Joseph of Arimathea took his body and he wrapped it in cloths. And we're told he applied a hundred pounds of perfumes and aloes. And that he placed Jesus in his own rock-hewn tomb. That a heavy stone was then moved in front of the tomb. That's in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Now, tombs are often used for burials and reburials. Uh, we have to understand that at this time, l- uh, land is very scarce for burial. And so the standard practice in this time during Second Temple Judaism, in the first century, was that there would be a, a, a slab in a tomb that a body would be laid out on, and it would be left to uh, desiccate and decompose. And about a year later, relatives would come back and find the bones, take the bones, and put them in what's called an ossuary or a bone box. We found many of them... Uh, there was a famous instance where it looks like we found uh, Caiaphas's uh, bone box uh, there in in Israel. So we have these uh, bone box evidence. So that's what was probably assumed to be happening in Jesus. That's why Joseph was willing to let him use his own tomb. He assumed that, you know, Joseph had another year of life at least. So this new rock-cut tomb would be available to lay Jesus' body out so that they could come back later and pick up the bones and put it in an ossuary according to standard practice at the time. Um, The fact that it's a new burial... Uh, is important because a lot of these tombs would end up having lots of entrances. And, and so you could go in from different ways. But a new rockhewn tomb would only have one entrance and exit, especially since it's never been used. And the location of this tomb would be known. Um, he, he knew where it was, Mary Magdalene, other Mary would know where the tomb was, others would have known where the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea was. And now the Pharisees seem to have remembered Jesus' teaching better than his disciples did, and therefore had, in Matthew 27, uh, a guard of Roman soldiers placed in front of the tomb so that the disciples would not come and steal the body. So all these preparations have already been made. So then we see the first day of the week after the Sabbath of the Passover week, where the women are coming to the tomb early in the morning with additional spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Yes, all of these spices had been used, but the preparation of the body was done in haste. So the women are coming to finish the preparations. Uh, Again, that was as soon as they could have, because they needed to rest in the evening of the Sabbath there on Friday evening, and this is the first time that that they've been able to get out and get to do this. Uh, but when they get there, they find that the stone has been rolled away and the body of Jesus is not there. That two angels uh, were there uh, and that the soldiers had fled in terror and that they lied eventually to cover themselves. Uh, the angels tell the women what happened, that Jesus had spoke of it, and they ran and told the disciples. We're told that Peter and John ran to the tomb and they found it empty, that the linen cloths were still folded and uh, in the, in the, in set aside. They believed but did not really fully understand. Mary Magdalene then spoke with someone she thought was the gardener and asked where he had taken the body of Jesus and finds out the person is actually Jesus himself. Uh, all of this is to show they were not ex- there waiting for him and expecting that he would rise. Jesus then appeared to Simon Peter. He came upon two disciples going to Emmaus. Uh, he explained the scriptures about himself and then uh, he reveals himself. That he was They under-recognized who he was while they broke bread and then he vanished. He then appeared to ten of the disciples. And he also appears when Thomas is present later. Uh, he encouraged them to touch him. He ate food before them. He also appeared to 500 uh, Christians at one time. He also appears to his brother James. And all of this is happening in this 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension. Uh, we also see that he instructs about him- them about himself, and about the scriptures and what what happened and what they are going to do as as the witnesses of his resurrection. He restores Peter to his place after the uh, denial that Peter went through, and then he ascended to the Father after 40 days, according to Acts chapter 1. And after that, Jesus is not said to have been seen in the same way that he had been seen beforehand. And of course, 10 days after uh, the ascension, the apostles begin preaching as eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Lord in Acts 2 and beyond, and go and proclaim the good news that God has raised Jesus from the dead. That is the distillation of the gospel message, because it includes everything else, and uh, was really the piece of news that changed everything, was how God was accomplishing his purposes in Jesus through the resurrection. And this is what we see laid out in the gospel accounts regarding jesus resurrection now as we've said the resurrection of jesus is the cornerstone of christianity that if jesus is raised from the dead then what Everything else follows uh, that is in the Christian faith, and Jesus is Lord, and we're going to see all the implications of what it means that Jesus is raised from the dead, but it also means that if Jesus is not risen, as Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 15, then Christians are to be most pitied and their faith is in vain. And so those who would be hostile toward Christianity and to oppose Christianity have understood that... Uh, if you can somehow show that the resurrection did not happen as it was said, and that Jesus is not really raised from the dead, you can dismiss and discount the entire Christian faith. And so, uh, we need to consider the alternatives, because, again, everything seems to stand or fall based upon the resurrection of Jesus. And so, one of the theories uh, that is often advocated is the swoon theory. In this situation, it said that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Uh, when we've explored how Jesus died, it was seen that it was not expected for Jesus to die so quickly. And so, uh, in this case, they're saying, well, he didn't really die, he just swooned. He just went into a deep state of unconsciousness, and that he came to three days later. But there are a lot of challenges with this idea. Uh, it is very uh, uh improbable because Jesus is already likely near death because again we've been able to explain that the difference between Jesus and most crucified people is that he was scourged beforehand. It was not a standard practice to scourge before crucifying. So to scourge before crucifying is to already bring somebody close to death and therefore crucifixion wouldn't need to be as long. He was pierced with a spear and verified as dead by Roman soldiers who were very familiar with how people lived and died. And by this point, he's also wrapped tightly in linen cloths with 100 pounds of aloe and myrrh. You'd imagine all that smell would be enough to wake anyone up, and of course, he's very tightly bound. And even if it were possible that he was thus tightly bound, but somehow got out of his wrappings and was able to move that huge stone, uh, he's extremely dehydrated and weak, and he would be, uh, it'd be impossible even to imagine to move that stone, let alone be able to manage uh, that uh, court, uh, all the Roman guards who were there. And that's why this theory is generally discredited. It's a very uh, desperate theory that it just doesn't make sense of it much of the evidence. Uh, others suggest the wrong tomb theory that Mary Magdalene and others went to the wrong tomb on the first day of the week. And uh, even if we were to count as this for a minute, uh, are we to believe that everybody kept going to the wrong tomb? Uh, would not a Joseph of Arimathea have pointed out that it was the wrong tomb at some point? Or were the soldiers guarding the wrong tomb? Uh, And uh, beyond all of this, once this message of Jesus being raised from the dead was going around Jerusalem, causing all kinds of consternation for religious authorities in Acts 3 and 4, would they not have had someone gone to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb and to see if the body was there? Because it would be very convenient and easy to bring out that body to show, hey, look, uh, here he is, he's really still dead, and thus discredit everything that was going on. And therefore, it takes more faith to believe these theories than what the Bible actually is claiming. Now, in order to explain many of the accounts of the witnesses of Jesus, many will say that the disciples were hallucinating. And it could possibly suffice to explain one person's story in one place in time. It's hard to explain all the appearances. Are we to really explain that there are mass hallucination events, that the women, the 11 disciples, and even 500 people experienced that same hallucination at the same time, and... Even in all of the cases where people have had hallucinations like this, the hallucinations tend to be a consistent pattern and keep happening. With the resurrection, it is not claimed that people still see Jesus in that way after 40 days. And so the fact that the hallucinations stop as quickly as they came, or the appearances stopped as quickly as they came, uh, also strongly discredits this idea that it was, in fact, a mass hallucination. Uh, so, why, why an empty tomb? Well, there's the theory of the stolen body, which is the same one being used by Jewish people, and, and that Matthew says in Matthew twenty eleven 11-15 that the disciples stole the body. And the fact that Matthew even goes so far as to say this is one of those theories uh, that goes around and that it's been spread among the Jews to his own day uh, is a very bold claim to make uh, and when everything else is involved if it, it actually has any legitimacy. Uh, but the problem with that theory is the disciples themselves. Because, as we've seen in the story, they have not had the expectation that Jesus is risen. The women who are very close to him are coming to prepare his body. Uh, the disciples are, are downcast and they're not expecting anything. And they are taken as a surprise as everybody else is. And then they are completely uh, transformed uh, in their experience of Jesus as the as the risen Christ. And they require a lot of uh, per- persuasion. Uh, everybody wants to kind of rag on doubting Thomas, but let's be honest. If you heard that Jesus died, and you know the Romans are good at that, and you heard that he's alive again, you'd want to have some proof as well. And so it's very sensible what Thomas is wanting to see. And um, that they're... It makes a lot, it's a lot harder to explain how they would have stolen the body and then come up with this story, uh, which again is again entirely novel in Second Temple Judaism, even though it fits in general expectations. The idea that the Christ would live and suffer, die, be raised, and then reign is the way you can put the story together, but it's not the way that you would automatically put that story together. And, of course, we have to explain why they're boldly preaching this, willing to die for this, without having received much monetary or life reward for so doing, and why, again, if the body were stolen, that were not made more of in Acts 4 and other circumstances in which the apostles are hauled before the Sanhedrin and cause great distress. And so it's very hard to explain the change in the disciples based upon this theory. But because of uh, uh, this idea and trying to make sense of it, there's the spiritual theory. And, and even some who would profess to believe in Jesus believe this theory that the Jesus' resurrection really wasn't about the change of his body, but a spiritual event. And that the faith of the apostles, or these Christians' own faith, would not be disturbed if we in fact found Jesus' body. That really they had a spiritual experience of Jesus after his death and they started preaching about this resurrection and and this transformation stuff but this is not what the Apostles preached in fact they affirmed that the body of Jesus was not in the tomb but raised from the dead and they interacted with him and it cannot account for the empty tomb makes little sense of later encounters and also why they would be willing to to stand so strongly for this faith that they would be willing to die for it when they could, like the Gnostics and others who were much more uh, spiritual about ideas of resurrection, were more than willing to find ways of accommodating Roman officials uh, and and to find a way to continue to go. And that's the thing about all these stories, is that none of them can adequately account for all the pieces of evidence that are recorded in the Gospel accounts, which meet this historiographical standard of the day of eyewitness testimony. Uh, the empty tomb, the eyewitness accounts, and the changed disciples. The only theory that really accounts for all of this is that Jesus really is raised from the dead with power on the third day after his death. So having talked about what resurrection is, the story of Jesus' resurrection, looking at the various uh, uh, arguments against it and, and how they do not stand, what does Jesus' resurrection mean? What what, is, what does it do? What, what do we now understand because of it? Well, Jesus' resurrection means he is Lord and Christ. And In Acts chapter 2, this is what Peter stands up in the day of Pentecost. And the, the, the divided tongues as a fire have come upon the disciples. They've been proclaiming in the various languages of the hearing of the people the great acts of God. They ask, what is going on here? And Peter says, this is what Joel said, promised in, in Joel chapter 2. And he goes and says that Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. And he demonstrates that by looking at his eye on eyewitness testimony and what David said in the Psalms. And he said, Jesus has been raised because of this. Uh, he has sent forth all that what you see here. And then in Acts 2 and in verse 36, uh, he, he, he really gets to the point which is that the house of Israel should know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. And they didn't need to explain to the Israelites what it meant for him to be Lord and Christ, that he was the king, that he is in charge, and that he was the one now in authority. And it's interesting, Peter doesn't talk in Acts 2 about he died for your sins or anything of that sort, not that Peter's denying it, but his whole message is Jesus has power, Because of what he has done, all authority has been given him on heaven and on earth. He has been declared the son of God in his resurrection Romans 1. And the fact that he is raised means that he has gained the victory over death. And we see this in Romans 6 and in 1 Corinthians 15, that the power of Satan and tyranny is broken when death is no longer uh, the end. Uh, the Jews and the Romans did everything they could to stop Jesus, and they killed him, but he triumphed over death. Satan and the forces of evil did all they could in inflicting evil upon him, but he overcame them, and God raised him from the dead. And that's how he was able to triumph over those powers and principalities. And that is how Christians have ever since had the confidence to stand up against evil and against uh, the imperious decrees of whatever Caesar is around because Caesar's power is that fear of death and when you no longer fear death, the, the Caesar's power has nothing over you and that's uh, why so many Christians have proven willing throughout time to, to stand for their faith to the point of death because uh, they understand that as Jesus overcame in the resurrection so they will also as well. And we know that even if this body is killed, God will raise it again. And Jesus' resurrection also confirms the day of judgment. In Acts 17, that's uh, Paul's argument to the Athenians. Uh, And it makes sense that if Jesus rose from the dead, it means there is life after death. It really uh, underscores Jesus' message to the Sadducees in Matthew 22 and other passages that God is not the God of the dead but of the living that uh, death is not the end, and that since death is not the end, there will be life after death, and if there's life after death, um, we see that there is going to be an accounting for the way life was lived here. There is no evading of consequences. Uh, What one has sowed in this life, they will reap in the life to come and therefore we cannot live this life as if this is the only life we're going to live. We need to live in this life as if there will be life afterwards. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20 and 23, Paul suggests that Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. Uh, Again, one of the the strange things that had to be reconciled was, okay, in the prophets we see some hint that there's going to be a resurrection the final day. So how do we make sense that Jesus is risen beforehand? And this first fruits thing is a very clever way of seeing this. The first fruit uh, in Leviticus is when you have the crops, right? The first of the crop is the first fruit, and you dedicate that to God. And then God blesses you, Lord willing, with second fruit, third fruit, fourth fruit. And you have uh, the fruits upon which you can live. And so when Paul says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit from the dead, there's the expectation that as God has raised Jesus from the dead, uh, there will be those who come after Jesus who will also be raised from the dead. And this, in fact, in, in Romans 8, 25 is our hope, the redemption of the body. That in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, that yes, we have a Savior from heaven and our citizenship is in heaven, but our hope is he's going to return and he's going to raise our body of humiliation to be like his glorified body. That the hope of the Christian is ultimately not heaven. Christians will go to heaven when they die, but the hope of the Christian is that when the Lord Jesus returns, they will return and obtain the resurrection of life in Christ. That we see the decay and the corruption in this life. And we yearn for the days of incorruption and perishability and the resurrection from the dead. And that we have that hope and confidence through Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection also presents breaking in of new life and the kingdom into the old world and kingdom. And this is what we see in Romans 6, 1-7 and the idea in 2 Corinthians that in Christ all things are made new. Uh, that we can put to death the man sin and walk in newness of life. Uh, there is a very important way of looking at salvation and eschatology in the New Testament, which is the now and not yet paradigm, where we see that there is the not yet. We have not yet obtained the resurrection of life ourselves. We have not yet seen the, the full victory of Jesus. We have not yet had uh, all things subjected under his feet as Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, that we still have the fullness of salvation waiting for us in 1 Peter 1. And yet, Jesus is now risen. Jesus is now ruling. In Jesus, we now seek to live according to the ways of his reign and his kingdom. We are a new creation in Christ. And so we still are in the world of sin and death and subject to decay and corruption and still tempted to participate in corruption. But we are to live as if we are in this new creation because we are part of Christ's kingdom. Thus we are to put to death the man of sin, to be renewed so we are to walk in newness of life, to advance the reign of God in Christ in this sinful world, to have that light in the darkness, hope and despair, to bring the fruit of resurrection. And all of this is only possible through Jesus' resurrection. Because on that early spring day in 30, everything changed. That Jesus' resurrection has brought forth a new world. That the world has been completely turned upside down because Jesus is risen. Do you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead and is now Lord, and have you obeyed him because of it? We encourage all to submit to the ways of Jesus of Nazareth because God has raised him from the dead, and he is the Christ that was prophesied. He is the Lord, and all will have to bow their knee to him, willingly or unwillingly, and may all turn to him, trust in him, repent in him, and find eternal life in that resurrection. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful, Father, for your love and care and provision for us, uh, your covenant loyalty displayed toward us. We're thankful for Jesus, for his life, for his death, and that you have raised him from the dead, and that he now reigns as Lord, and we have the hope of the resurrection in him. We're thankful for the Spirit and the Word and all the other many blessings that you've given us. Uh, We pray, Father, that we would put our trust that. In you and Jesus, that you have raised him from the dead, that we would make that our firm anchor in our lives, that we would live according to uh, the idea that Jesus is raised from the dead, that death is not the end, that we should not fear the things that we that people fear in this life, and that we should earnestly look forward to that redemption of the body that you will forgive us when the Lord Jesus returns and we obtain that resurrection of life ourselves. We pray, Father, that we would live in ways that glorify you in light of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection, that we would turn away from evil and do what is right, that we would be strengthened and sustained in the spirit that you have given through Jesus, that we would bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus, to live according to the principles of the reign that you have established in Jesus, and that people would see the fruit of that life in Christ uh, in us and be uh, encouraged to turn away from the darkness and death and toward life and light in your Son. <clears throat> we pray that you would heal all those who are ill. We pray that you would strengthen and sustain those who mourn and those who are in deep distress, that you would preserve life wherever it is in danger, that your justice and righteousness would flow in our land, that you would provide for those in need, and that your uh, the schemes of the powers and principalities that may come against us would be thwarted in Jesus. Uh, we look forward to that day of resurrection when we will no longer have to deal with the corruption of this world and that we can live incorruptibly and immortally uh, with you forever. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're again so glad that you've joined us today. We'd love to hear your thoughts about what it means that Jesus has risen, and how that's supposed to affect our lives, and the way that we look at the world, and the way that we treat other people, and the way that we stand or fall before those in authority. If you have other questions or comments, if we can be of any service to you, please let us know. Please subscribe to us where you found us. Let it talk to us in the comments and uh, reach out to us at VentureToChrist.org or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. May the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.